You're listening to The Souvenir Shop, a podcast about random objects from the past. Number 32. The Sketch. A 90-second comedy sketch typed on two sheets of A4 paper, folded and sealed in a yellowing registered envelope. There is a handwritten note on the outside giving the date of the 24th of January 1991 and the subject of its contents, intriguingly marked Rebel Cricketers slash Lithuania. As is fairly well known, sending a sealed registered envelope to yourself containing your precious work was once the universal method of ensuring copyright of your intellectual property. Jazz rock legend Steely Dan even referred to this, albeit metaphorically, in their song Ricky Don't Lose That Number. In the autumn of 1990, I sat for the first time in a cramped and shabby room with another 30 or so equally cramped and shabby men. Although women weren't excluded, there were none to be seen, neither did I notice anyone who couldn't be described as white Caucasian. In the middle of the room sat a detached-looking, bespectacled man in his early thirties, wearing a thin woollen sweater and pressed chinos. He was a comedy producer with BBC Radio's Light Entertainment Department. His demeanour was, I was soon to learn, typical of someone in his position, suggesting that he would rather be anywhere than wasting his lunchtime by sitting in that room. At one o'clock, without announcing his name or saying hello, he got straight to the point. OK then, what have you got for me? Starting with the people nearest the door, the men in the room each spoke a sentence or two, and the man in the middle would mostly either shake his head or occasionally mutter, let's have a look. This was the Wednesday lunchtime open writers meeting for the BBC Radio 4 satirical comedy show Weekending. When I hear a tax on the licence fee and public broadcasting in general, I think back to that first meeting I attended. For all the talk of how difficult it was to make it as a comedy writer, it was then possible to walk into BBC Radio Light Entertainment at 16 Langham Street in London and tell the receptionist you were there for weekending. With no security checks or questions, they presented you with a temporary pass to go up to the writer's room on the first floor. Once there, you could pitch your idea to a real grumpy producer. No other national television or radio service in the world had anything like this level of access. And no commercial broadcaster would have devoted even the tiniest fraction of its budget to such an enterprise. The pitches came free and fast as they went clockwise round the room. Eventually, it was my turn to speak. Um, an examination board is considering the inclusion of works by Jackie Collins and Geoffrey Archer for A-level English literature. My sketch is a schoolboy being grilled in the headmaster's office after being found hiding a copy of Chaucer inside a paperback of Hollywood Wives. I stuttered, while clutching a brown loose-leaf file containing the script. I knew this was no classic to match the dead parrot or fork handles, but I waited for the producer's reaction anyway. Let's have a look. Once the meeting was over, I handed over my typed script and on Friday night heard it performed on the radio, 
with a repeat on Saturday afternoon. My name was read out during the credits as one of the many contributors to the show, and I danced around the room knowing I could now legitimately call myself a professional comedy writer. If weak ending is remembered at all, it isn't mentioned in the same breath as classics like The Goon Show or Hancock's Half Hour. Throughout its three-decade run, it was often criticised for its sloppiness and lack of satirical bites, leading various wags to surmise that the show's title referred to the quality of its punchlines. But in its own way, Week Ending was the most important comedy show on radio. If a time machine could transport us back to that first visit to the writer's room, we might see, among others, Harry Hill, Stuart Lee, Patrick Marber, Richard Herring or Al Murray. Week Ending was the kindergarten of British light entertainment, where smart Alex pitching gags based on that week's news could chance their arms at becoming real comedy writers. Others with an early credit included Harry Enfield, Andy Hamilton, Linda Smith, Armando Iannucci, Richard Curtis, Clive Anderson, David Baddiel, Joe Brand and Simon Pegg. In other words, it's fair to say that without Weekending and its sink-or-swim open access, a lot of British TV, radio and film comedy from the past couple of decades might never have existed. As for me, having a sketch commissioned from my first visit to the Wednesday meeting proved both a blessing and a curse. Most writers attended for months on end before either receiving the thumbs up from whichever producer was playing God or admitting that comedy writing was maybe not for them. In my case, it was a painfully long and frustrating time before I got another credit on the show. This frustration made me give up on the meetings too early. If I'd had a knockback early on, I might have stayed the course and made it as a real comedy writer with a real comedy writer's drink problem. We should bear in mind that nobody at that open writer's meeting was in this for the money. For the pain of sweating over that week's newspapers, trying to crank out satirical material, the fee, if you were fortunate enough to have your material broadcast, was about £20 per minute for sketch material, or £12 for a one-liner. A separate cheque arrived a few days after the first, containing half that fee for the Saturday afternoon repeat, and, if you were lucky, another microscopic payment arrived if your material made it to the monthly BBC World Service compilation. When I hear tabloid complaints about the BBC's profligacy with licence payers' money, I can't help but remember those paltry checks. Could weekending exist today? Maybe, or maybe not. In fact, there is still an open-access BBC radio comedy called Newsjack. It's as patchy as its predecessor, and a website with a submission portal has long replaced the Wednesday meeting. And sadly, 16 Langham Street and its first-floor writer's room was demolished in 2005. But on the plus side, the BBC advertise access to Newsjack widely to the general public, and as a consequence, its contributors are far more diverse. But the big sea change since Weekending's cancellation in 1998 is the mechanics of topical humour itself. When the press magnate, Robert Maxwell, fell off his boat in 1991, 
The Wednesday meeting was a rugby scrum to see who could get their Captain Bob gags onto the show. The producer came to me in the clockwise queue and I pitched the following one-liner for their opening news headlines. Robert Maxwell's body was air-freighted to Jerusalem in preparation for his Mount of Olives funeral. An Israeli government spokesman said that they were always grateful to receive a fact check in the post. There were no laughs, only a sharp intake of breath from several others in the room because they had all written a variation on the same fairly obvious gag. But it was mine that made it onto the show simply by saying it first. Such a scenario could never happen today. In a world of social media, jokes like this pop up on Twitter moments after any major news story breaks. A few minutes after that, the first cleverly photoshopped memes appear. And within an hour or two, the subject is considered old hat, fit only to be raised from the dead for that Friday's Have I Got News For You. That was The Sketch. Written and read by Matthew Diamond. If you enjoyed this podcast, then why not hit like and subscribe on Acast or wherever you get your podcasts and maybe leave a review. And I'll see you next time.